I'm just going to breathe into the breathalyzer. <laughs> We're fine. Uh, so I love the I love the picture of Keith mowing the grass and. Uh, uh, I, I'm free to come round, by the way, if you lawn mode, yeah. Definitely, <laughs> definitely need that. So um, I want to look at 2 Corinthians. We uh, at Jubilee Church in Liverpool are working our way through 2 Corinthians, the letter. Uh, and I love the way Paul, who was a man who ran very well, so often... Uh, but it may be you think today, I am running well, and, and my life with God is going great. Here's the problem when you're running well. When I used to keep a chart, and I could tick off my prayer time, and I could tick off my scripture memory verse, and I could say I've read my chapter of the Bible, I was arrogant. Now, I'm not saying don't read the Bible, don't memorize scripture, do all those things. Uh, but you can think it's all about you. And then you have to learn lessons like this. You find there's someone in the church struggling. And then you end up being the one running around after them. Uh, I remember when we were starting plant planting a church in Manchester, we had a lady who uh, was sectioned. A lovely, lovely lady. Uh, and she would hear voices. Uh, not all the time, but she... The, the first voice she heard was this one. You're healed, stop taking your medicine. <laughs> now you think, wow, that's fantastic as a Christian. So she'd stop taking her medicine. Then she'd start hearing more voices, and they were voices like, kill yourself. You think, oh my word. And then she would go down, uh, really down physically. She would stop eating. Uh, she would stop sleeping. Uh, and she would end up eventually, her body shutting down and being sectioned. When she came out, I had an arrogance about me that said, I will help her. And I will be, I, I didn't actually say this, but I tried to be her saviour. That's the problem when you're running well. You sometimes think it's all about you. I used to beat myself up after sharing the gospel with someone. And, and as I was walking away, I'd go, oh God, I'm sorry I didn't say that argument. And I should have used that argument. And again, it was all about me, thinking it was me. And it was about my gospel presentation. And her whole salvation depended on me. The Saviour. We're not the Saviour. And Paul, who was the most remarkable man in the New Testament, apart from Jesus, obviously... Uh, had a lot of reason to be very proud. He'd been trained as a Pharisee. He was obviously brilliant with languages. He was a Hebrew of Hebrews, a Pharisee of Pharisees. He was overtaking all the other young guys in the Pharisee school or seminary, I suppose. He would have had lots of reason to be arrogant. But as we look at 2 Corinthians towards the end of Paul's life, you find that the man is the most humble man and has learned some incredible lessons since meeting Jesus on the Damascus Road. Some incredible lessons. And I want to show you some of those lessons today as we look at 2 Corinthians. So in chapter 1, Paul just repeatedly uses a Greek word that the NIV translates comforter. 
Verse 3. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort. We need comfort. Paul needed comfort. Although he was remarkable in so many ways, he said, I count it all as rubbish. That's rubbish. That's dumb, is actually, or manure, or worse words could come to mind. But uh, he, he said, he, he considered it just like that. It's just not even, it was waste. He says he's the God of all comfort who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble. So anything we learn, we're meant to pass it on. If you've learned something about the comforter, pass it on. You've probably been comforted, hopefully, by some Christians. Pass it on to other people who need some comfort. Uh, because uh, in any trouble, with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. So we're not passing on our own wisdom. We're saying, I've learned something from the comforter, God himself. I'm passing that on to comfort you, to point you to him. Not to point you to me, I'm not the saviour. A similar thing happens, I don't know if you've heard this, uh, people who have a healing ministry. You sometimes hear them saying, uh, I don't think I should pray for anyone at the moment, I've got a cold. Well, what's that got to do with anything? It's not about you being perfectly healthy, but you disqualify yourself for all kinds of stupid reasons. I've broken my arm, I can't pray for anyone with a bad arm because my arm's in a sleep. Doesn't say that in the Bible anyway. The power doesn't come from us and it's not because we're 100% healthy that we pray for anyone. I suppose if you do have a cold, it's nice not to breathe all over people, but uh, I would say whatever sickness you have, still pray for people. It's not about you. But we can fall into a trap of somehow, without meaning to, thinking healing depends on me, salvation depends on me. The battle depends on me. No, the battle belongs to the Lord. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Healing belongs to the Lord. We belong to the Lord. And Paul is trying to tell us, he says, just as we share abundantly in the sufferings of Christ, so also our comfort abounds through Christ. The word comforter is the Greek word, uh, the root word is paraclete. Para, alongside, Cleat is called. The one who is called alongside. God comes alongside Christians. And I don't mean he only comes when we need help because we're in trouble. He comes alongside permanently when we're in Christ. So you could translate that, uh, the one who comes alongside us in all our troubles. The one, or the one who's called alongside us in all our troubles. When Jesus comes from heaven to earth, he comes alongside us. He's called alongside us. God has become a man and is with us. And then says, come and be with me. He calls us to be alongside him. But even when we're not alongside him, sometimes we kind of, uh, we just get a bit cold. He's still alongside us. He doesn't leave us. So Paul, who was remarkable, has had to learn some great, great lessons of humility, which I love. 
And, and so through the letter to the Corinthians, and I would urge you, just read 2 Corinthians sometimes. Just for your own encouragement. Uh, but we're going to pick and choose one or two verses in 2 Corinthians. So in chapter 1 and verse 8, uh, Paul talks about his own suffering, which was remarkable. Uh, there's lists of his suffering. He, he was left in a sea for a day and a half. You think, wow. I, I, you've probably watched films about, you know, uh, adrift at sea or something. Some, some film where you see sharks swimming around. But we don't know if there were sharks. But nonetheless, Paul was in a sea. Left. Shipwrecked. Left. And God protected him somehow. He was beaten with rods. He was stoned uh, by the Jews. They tried to kill him by stoning him to death. And it seems that God either protected him or raised him up from the dead after he was left for dead. So he's got a whole list of sufferings. I'm not going to look at all those now, but this is what Paul says in verse 8 of chapter 1. We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about the troubles we experienced in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure so that we despaired of life itself. Have you ever despaired of life itself? You're like Paul if you have. I have. I have one time thought, I'm going to jump off. Such a, a, an overwhelming sense of, I'm, I'm going to kill myself. But when does that come? Usually when we're very low, very vulnerable, then the devil thinks, right, I've got you now, Christian. You're as low as you could be, now is my time. Now is my chance to rob, to destroy, to kill. He doesn't play fair. He doesn't try and wait till you're doing a bit better and you're really getting a lot from the Bible studies you're doing and loving church life. He waits till you're about as low as you could be and then he kicks you when you're down. And then he kicks you again and kicks you again. Paul despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt we'd received the sentence of death. But this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. That's the great lesson from Paul, that he has met the resurrected Jesus, who's risen from the dead. He's put his trust in the God who raises the dead. He himself, although he's weak, knows that there's a God who's full of power and can raise the dead, and he will be raised one day too. That's the hope of the resurrection that Paul himself has, that it's not just Jesus, it's Paul himself. And every Christian will be raised on that last day when Jesus returns. So Paul has a deep, deep conviction that he's in the hands of God, wonderfully in the hands of God, who raises the dead. I like it. Where does my help come from? It comes from God who raises the dead. He's the, the resurrection and the life. And so when Paul is suffering, what does he do? Number one thing, he relies on God. When you're suffering, rely on God. You could look around and think, where's everybody? Where's my help come from? It should come from... No, it comes from God. It, 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 
it's the only place to look. Because he's the only one who will never let you down. Ever. Ever. And so in Proverbs, uh, it says this, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. Our own understanding is very twisted. Very twisted on what we think is right, what we think is fair, what we think should be done, what we think... But God is the one who knows how to look after his people. And he says, lean not on your own understanding. We're going to sing a song uh, after, uh, after the sermon called Lean Hard. Paul says, when you're in any trouble, lean hard on God. That's where you've got to go. Paul's own suffering made him lean hard. And as you lean hard on God, you find that sometimes when you thought, I'm not moving, I'm not going anywhere, I'm not growing as a Christian, you look back on that period of your life and you think, wow, I moved quicker then than when I thought I was moving well. Who's the little toddler with the red car? What's his name? Who? Isaac. Isaac is moving pretty quickly with his car right now. <laughs> However, that's as quick as Isaac can go. If we took Isaac, put him on someone's shoulders, on daddy's shoulders, and daddy ran, Isaac would go much, much quicker. Isaac would say, but I'm not moving, my legs aren't moving. The truth is, when God picks us up and carries us, we move much, much quicker than when we think we're doing well. We think we're running well, and God says, actually, I'm going to move you even quicker when you think you're not moving at all. That's the whole picture of the footsteps in the sand. It's just a brilliant analogy because it's remarkable when God carries you, he carries you quickly. And you don't think you're moving. And you moan and moan, or I've certainly done it, moaned and moaned saying, I'm not growing, I'm not moving. And then I look back and think, wow, I have changed more in that period than at any other period in my life, apart from being born again. The most remarkable things happens when our Father, the God of all compassion, takes us, puts us on his, puts us on his shoulders or carries us in his arms, we move much better that way. And we think, yeah, but I'm, I'm having to lean hard on God. Surely God must get worn out. He doesn't get weary. Where does that help come from? It comes from the one who raises the dead who never grows weary. Even youths grow weary, the Bible says, but God doesn't. We're meant to look to him, wait on him, hope in him, and we will rise up. And often we rise up because he's lifting us up and he's carrying us on his shoulders. That's the God we've put our trust in. So Paul's first thing when he's suffering is lean hard on God. The second thing Paul tells us is that he's learned that suffering just reminds him who he actually is in this fallen flesh. So look at 2 Corinthians 4. It'll come up on the screen. Uh, verse 7. Paul's suffering again. He says this, But we have this treasure... In jars of clay, this treasure is the gospel message, the born-again experience. We, we're alive in God, and we've got a message to bring. But all that treasure 
God and how he's got us in his hands, all that treasure is in this jar of clay. And a jar of clay is common. Whenever uh, any uh, archaeologists go into the Middle East, they find clay pots everywhere, shards of clay everywhere. Clay is very common, it's very brittle, it breaks. It can store things like the Dead Sea Scrolls were found in pottery. But when Paul talks about us being a jar of clay, it's something very easily broken. But instead of storing treasure in a safe or the bank, God has chosen to store his treasure in us. Jars of clay. Now, do you feel the weakness of who we are in this fallen body? A jar of clay. It's brittle. It cracks. It breaks. It's vulnerable. It's weak. Paul says, we have this treasure in jars of clay to show. Now you may think, Oh, surely the jar's got to be better if it's in one piece. But actually, treasure shows more as the jar starts to have cracks in it. You think, oh, there's a bit missing. Oh, I can see the treasure. And you sometimes listen to a lie, and the lie says, you cannot share your testimony right now because your life's a mess. The jar of clay's cracked. Let me tell you a, a, a secret that's actually right here. The jar of clay that's cracked reveals more of the treasure inside. So when we're most vulnerable, sometimes people see Jesus in us even more. Even more. We have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. See, when you're struggling and low and hurting and vulnerable and weak, and then you say, look, I'm, I'm just like you, I'm really hurting, but let me pray for you. And then they get healed, you know it's not you, it's God, through you. They get saved, you know it's not you, it wasn't because your great testimony is so amazing that they're all following you, no. God uses us in our weakness, and Paul says, we were hard pressed on every side. I can't see a car crusher. Have you ever seen one of those things? It's like, and, and this great big car ends up in a, a, a little metal square. Paul says that's what happens to us. We're under attack. There is a spiritual battle. And we're hard pressed on every side. But we are SpongeBob. Because when you hard <laughs> press SpongeBob, it's like he's back. You can crush a sponge as much as you like. It bounces back. Somehow, until God calls us home, we bounce back. It's remarkable. These vulnerable jars of clay somehow hold together. You think, well, that can't work. I'm just crushed to pieces. I'm hard-pressed on every side. Yet, I'm not crushed. Why? You're in the hands of God. He knows how to look after you. He knows how to carry you. Struck down but not destroyed. That's our God. You see, Paul, when he went around doing extraordinary miracles and seeing amazing healings and the kingdom of God advancing, he himself tells us that he had bad eyesight. 
So bad was his eyesight that the Galatians said, we would pluck our eyes out if we could. Paul says, see with what big writing I write. His eyesight's gone. And yet, God used him to do extraordinary miracles. Not because he was perfectly well himself. Don't disqualify yourself when you're not doing amazingly. You're not doing amazingly sometimes is the very thing God needs you to be for the treasure of God's all-surpassing power to shine out through your life. Our testimonies are more powerful when we're being hard-pressed on every side. Because you're still following Jesus even though you're in the car crusher. Wow! How unbelievable is that? You're still going on with God. That is a great testimony right there. See, sometimes people look and go, I can see why you're a Christian. Because everything's going great for you. <laughs> Actually, that doesn't impress anybody. What impresses people is they can't see why you'd want to believe in this God with all the trouble you're going through. Paul says it's so that this treasure is revealed. It's a remarkable thing to learn. So that in chapter 4, Paul says he's learnt something so deep that if you can get a hold of it, it will change your perspective on this life. And this is the way he puts it in 2 Corinthians 4 verse 16. Therefore we do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away. Jars of clay. Yet, inwardly, we're being renewed day by day. God's at work in us. He, he's caused us to be a new creation. This new creation life is breaking out. But, it's housed in this jar of clay. And this is the amazing truth that if you can get it, I think it will just serve you for the rest of your Christian lives in this life. Verse 17. For our light... And momentary troubles, and you think, wait, whoa, 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 just back up a minute. You just told us you were hard pressed on every side and yet not crushed. You just gave us this long list of how much trouble you were in and how difficult it was and how you even despaired of life itself. And now you're telling us these lighter moments. Whoa, do you want to rephrase that, Paul? He says, no, because when you fix your eyes on the God of all comfort and you fix your eyes on our hope that is eternal, everything has a new godly perspective. So Paul says, if you get a hold of the God of all comfort, the father of compassion, then what seemed incredibly heavy, heavy, heavy and such trouble that you couldn't bear it, Paul says, in comparison to the, the heavy glory that awaits us, it's, it's like, have you ever had those scales where you put something heavy on one side and something like a feather on the... and it just, it just jumps like that, the balance scales. Well, Paul's saying it's like that with our heavy, heavy hearts. Compared to the glory that awaits us, it's just like, it's just like a feather. Yeah. Yeah. 
It's an eternal perspective. Paul then says it's not only light, it's momentary. You think, well, Paul, you've been going through this for years. Almost since the Damascus Road, he was persecuted. First of all, Christians didn't even trust him. Barnabas had to go and get him, because no one trusted the guy. He's tricking us. He just wants to throw more of us in prison. He wants to have another Stephen where he's there and another martyr is killed for Jesus, or in the name of Jesus. But he wasn't tricking them. He really was converted on the Damascus Road, but no one trusted him. But Barnabas, an encourager, went and got him and said, come and help me. Some of us are going to be Barnabases. We're going to encourage people to come on. Come and, come and help me. And Paul actually gets going and kind of overtakes Barnabas if you read the, the, the story of Acts. But this is what Paul says. It's momentary troubles. How does that work? We live in comparison to eternity 40 years, 50 years, 60 years, 70 years, 80 years. Maybe 90. Some live to 100. The Queen will probably still be there giving them money. Uh, but even 100 years, which is an incredibly long time on the earth for us, compared to eternity, that's probably 100 years. My finger touching my thumb. Eternity is from that way to that way and just keep going forever and beyond. It's eternity, eternity. Our God dwells in eternity. He's always existed. He created the world at some point in his eternal existence. He foreknew the people he would have as his own. He predestined them and said, come follow me. He calls them. He justifies them. He glorifies them. All in the context of eternity. And our hundred years or fifty years or however long the Lord gives us is very, very small in comparison to eternity. It's momentary. So we may have, we may have 50 years of trouble, 60 years of trouble in comparison. Get an eternal perspective is what Paul says. Get an eternal perspective. And then uh, the third lot of suffering, Paul tells us he actually begged the Lord three times for the suffering to stop. He has a thorn in his flesh, a messenger from Satan. We're not even told what it is. All kinds of debate what it might be. You all have your opinion. But this is what Paul says in uh, chapter 12, verse 8. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. What that actually is saying is God, our Father of compassion, the God of all comfort, is saying no. No, Paul. I'm not taking it away. Wow. What kind of father would do that? Well, our Father knows how every bit of his story is weaved into a tapestry that we only see the loose threads of. He turns it round and says, I can see it from my perspective. Your life is important as it touches this life and touches that life, as I weave you together amongst my people to make this beautiful tapestry, to make a difference for me. 
We don't always see it that way. We think, well, why, why can't you just take this thorn away from me? Jesus himself, who came from heaven and came alongside us, said, Father, take this cup from me. But not my will, but yours be done. Three times he asked for the cup to be removed. I've asked for something hundreds of times, and I got a no answer. So it, it doesn't say here you can only ask three times. And some of you will have prayed and prayed and not seen an answer yes. And sometimes a loving father does say no. And we don't always understand it. And so we say, how long, Lord? Which is okay, you're allowed to do that. The psalmist said, how long, Lord? And Paul says, it's momentary. In comparison, he doesn't not say the next bit. It's got to be, in, it's not momentary. Every day you suffer is not momentary on this life, in this life, on this earth. It's only momentary as we compare it to eternity. So we can hear the, the word no, but Paul says this, therefore, here's my reaction to the no answer. My reaction to the no answer is I felt God had let me down. I wasn't I didn't realise that I stopped trusting God in the way that I had when I first became a Christian. I stopped praying big prayers is how I realised I've stopped trusting God. But in, in 2 Corinthians 12, Paul's answer is, Therefore I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest in me. Quite remarkable. Now, Paul finishes the letter to the Corinthians saying this. Please, if you've got a Bible with you and you, you are turned to 2 Corinthians 13, get a pen. Uh, and in verse 14, if it says the word may, may the grace of the Lord, please cross the word may out. Uh, because there's no verb in the Greek. It's the grace of the Lord Jesus, which actually we're told is abundant, like a waterfall for every Christian. The grace of the Lord Jesus and the love of God, which is like a safety net. The Father has us and no one can separate us from his love. And the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. Jesus, when he goes back to heaven, the disciples are saying, how can we survive without you? And Jesus says, I will send another paraclete, another comforter. He will be with you forever. And so it says, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit with you all. No verb. Cross out the word be, cross out the word may, and you'll have the direct, literal translation there. Paul is saying our Father, our Saviour, and our, uh, our Holy Spirit are the ones we need to rely on, lean on. Let's stand And Lord, we thank you, you're the Father of all compassion. And you come alongside us when we need you to lean on. We thank you we can lean hard on you. We thank you that uh, you say don't lean on your own understanding. Trust me. Lord, we say we put our trust in you.